Welcome to Out of the Blank. to another episode of out of the blank podcast mr blakey it's a pleasure to have you on my show i can't contain my excitement um would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening i am a retired now uh, professor of law uh, at the notre dame law school and when it comes to your involvement with the house select committee on assassinations how'd you get started into that well i um when the committee was put together, questions were raised about uh, how much money should, I mean, this is internal, how much money should they be expected to spend on it? Uh, and they called me uh, because I commented on, I knew the budgets of a number of uh, prosecutors units and I told them what those budgets were. Uh, and they were considerably less than what the Assassination Committee ultimately handled. But my name was surfaced in that. Uh, and then when an issue came at, as to who should be the chief counsel, my name was already in the pool, in a sense. And it's on the basis of that uh, that they called me. Did you have an interest in the assassination? No. Or, so this was just, you were coming at it like an open slate. Well, it's, it's even better or worse than that. Uh, I had been in the Department of Justice for, uh, I, I was hired under the Attorney General's Honors Program. Uh, and when the Warren Commission let me back up a little bit. I was with Robert Kennedy in an organized crime meeting uh, that day. And we broke for lunch. And Robert Kennedy went out to Hickory Hill. And, and I went across uh, the, the street and to eat a sandwich. Uh, and the assassination occurred. Uh, during that period of time. And our meeting was never really well, called back together. Uh, and the next time I saw uh, Robert Kennedy, I went up to say goodbye to him. And uh, he was in his office and he was a very vigorous guy. Uh, and when I shake his hand, uh, what he handed me was like a dead fish was lifeless uh, and his eyes were normally very penetrating. If he asked you a question, you saw his eyes and they went right through you. Uh, was glass, fogged glass. Uh, and so I did say goodbye to him and I shook his hand and all that sort of thing. Uh, 
The Robert Kennedy I saw that day of the assassination was one person, and the Robert Kennedy I saw uh, when I left, he was still in the department, and I said goodbye. He was uh, a shell of a human being. The assassination uh, obviously uh, destroyed the vital attorney general that I knew uh, actively running the department. Those two things I can say, uh, but you didn't really ask me how I got involved with it. I knew people from the Department of Justice that were called to help out the Assassinations Committee. Uh, I knew the one of our people in the in the organized in the the criminal division of the department uh, was called over to be the deputy director uh, of the Assassinations Committee. I'm sorry, of the Warren Commission. So I knew people from the Warren Commission, staff people. I knew them independently of their service for the for the the commission. Are we talking about the prime members or the secondary members that were mainly from law schools? Well, the secondary members were the people who did the work. The Warren Commission itself were uh, the the chief justice was actively involved in the investigation. Uh, the other members of the committee uh, or the commission were not actively involved uh, in what, what went on. They were, I don't want to go too far in characterizing each member of the commission. What I can say is that the individual members of the commission had they didn't, they didn't get into the evidence. And so uh, I read the Warren, Warren Commission's report, not the big bulk report. I bought one of those. Uh, they took the commission's report and turned it into a paperback. And I read the paperback volume and I knew the people who wrote it and I put it aside. And I wasn't thinking about it at all, much less the controversy that developed um, over the Warren Commission. So I was satisfied insofar as I made an effort to figure out what happened. Uh, I felt the Warren Commission did a good job. Now, how I got to the Assassinations Committee is there had been a controversy as to what the committee was doing. And the chief counsel and the head of the, of the congressman who was running basically the investigation uh, resigned. Actually, they were sort of run out of town. And I was being interviewed to, to become the chief counsel. And uh, I started out, you, you asked me how, 
I got involved in this in the but two points. How did I get involved in the assassination? Did I spend any time thinking about it? Or the controversy that came out after the commission? I get you agreed with the Warren Commission report, but also I'm holding in my mind what you talked about with Robert Kennedy when you saw his face after his brother was killed. Um, which... I did not raise the question of the president's assassination. That was the underlying I know. issue. I was leaving the department. I would never have left the department had the, the assassination not occurred. And I was leaving the department, so I was saying goodbye to the person who had been, in a special way, one of my bosses. Uh, I'm aware of that, but I'm just using that as when you become part of the House Select Committee on Assassinations. I know you still have to have that picture. You just painted it to me a minute ago, and it had me tearing up. So I know you're thinking about you know, that look that he gave you, basically, when you're doing your work for the House Select Committee on Assassinations. I think that's a stronger point than if you well, agree he, with the Warren Commission. He wasn't involved in the in my investigation. Well, I never talked to him after that day, much less about the assassination of the Warren Commission. I know that's, that's, that's not what I'm saying, though. What I'm saying is, is that you had that when you said goodbye to him, and then later on, whenever you joined the House Select Committee on Assassinations, I know you still remember that goodbye that you gave him. So you're going in there thinking, it did this to this guy. You want to find some resemblance of truth or if there is something going on. Yeah, well, let me back up a little bit before that. There had been a controversy in the Assassinations Committee. The chairman left and the chief counsel left. <clears throat> And I was brought in to, by the committee, with several things in mind. And one of them was to run a professional investigation and not a political investigation. So, but let me back up. When I got the phone call and they asked me whether I was interested in doing it, my answer was no. I wasn't interested in moving to Washington. I didn't find anything wrong with the Warren Commission. But I said, but I wouldn't give them a no without talking to my wife. Because either I would go down there and she and the kids would stay in our hometown. And so those kind of decisions, i.e. what I do with my life, uh, my life was not mine. It was her decision saying yes I should do it or no I shouldn't do it uh, would be 95% uh, of my decision. Happy wife, happy life. Yes. And we, <laughs> I have uh, oh, finally uh, eight kids and taking care of eight kids is a lot of work when they're little and a lot of emotional work when they're in their teenage years or later. So I'm not going to walk out of, out of it and go do something I'm interested in and leave Elaine to take care of the family. So I went home.
and talked to her. And she, believe it or not, thought that I should do it. And she said, oh, we'll work out all the things I was concerned and that she could easily take care of them. Uh, and she would rather have me uh, going down and working for the committee. So the decision was made as much by her as it was by me. Then I went down to interview with the committee. Now, in particular, I went down to interview with Louis Stokes, uh, who was the chairman. And he told me, the first question I asked him is, what kind of investigation were they interested in running? I, am I, I said that because if it was going to be a political investigation, if it was going to be characterized by a great deal of publicity, basically I was not interested in doing it. Uh, and he said, no, uh, I want a professional investigation. And then the way he put it, because we looked into not only Kennedy, uh, we looked into Martin Luther King. And the, the phrase that Stokes said is, I want an investigation of their death commensurate with the dignity of their lives. <laughs> that was my direction. An invest a professional investigation with the dignity commensurate with the, their life, not their death. And whatever the answer would be, uh, he would accept it if it was based on the evidence. So when I heard that, that was the only kind of investigation I wanted to get involved in. Uh, in fact, I, I suggested to him, and, and, and I also suggested to the committee, because I talked to them as well, that we would have no publicity, none, no public statements uh, at all until we had done the investigation. And then that we would explain the investigation in hearings, uh, not in publicity releases. Uh, and uh, I asked the committee if they would agree uh, to have no publicity until the case was over. Uh, no publicity at all. And that they would not have public statements on their own. There would be a rule in the committee that nobody talked uh, outside of our hearings and our final report. And they agreed with me. And we had a rule that the committee said nothing. The committee would speak through their hearings and through the final report. So all of the shenanigans, if you want to use that word, that were involved in the commission, at the commission, in the hearing or in the congressional investigation, uh, we eliminated, I think, uh, by agreement, all of the publicity that was associated with the prior committee. And then we got down to uh, 
looking into what happened to Kennedy and King. And the committee was really very good. They didn't have public statements. Well, there were one or two in the end. I was much put off by what happened. Uh, one of the congressmen uh, announced some of the evidence that we had uh, in a, he was taught to a uh, reporter, I'm <laughs> talking to you, and he revealed some of the evidence before we were finally uh, evaluated it. Uh, and he got in the, the doghouse for, for doing that. But put, putting that aside, uh, we spoke through the hearings uh, and we spoke through the final re report. And what I can tell you is uh, the benchmark for us was the Warren Commission because that was the previous body that spoke publicly about the assassination. So we were speaking years after that report. Uh, and we had to evaluate that report as part of our investigation. Now that's not the Kennedy assassination. That's the performance of the government in response to the Kennedy assassination. Uh, so that's part of what we did. And the part, other part of what we did is what we thought happened factually uh, as best we could from all the information we had uh, in both assassination of Kennedy and, and, and King. Let me just ask a couple questions. When it comes to the Warren Commission evaluation, did you agree with it like you did when you originally looked at the report? I mean, the HSCA proved more than one or two things that were wrong in the Warren Commission's um, either report. So I'm just curious when you evaluated it, when you actually had to sit down and read this from all those years ago and then start making your conclusions. I mean, enough, I'm pretty sure probably at some point your investigation was influenced by other media outlets that were also theorizing if Oswald was an informant, if there was a connection with Jack. Let me give you an example. Uh, we took testimony from uh, the people who ran the Warren Commission report, investigation, not the commission itself. Although we in fact had a hearing that uh, it had before us uh, um, committee counsel uh, from the Warren Commission. And we heard from, uh, we heard from some commission members. Oh, that being said, one of the things we first, well, what did we say and, and how do we express ourselves? You will look at it that we evaluated the Warren Commission. This is the report now. And we felt that it read like a brief for Court of Appeals. 
where what it did is it explained not what it did, but it justified uh, the, its findings. In other words, it was a well-written uh, legal brief by the staff uh, exp expressing all the support for the position taken by the commission. They read like a legal brief. And there is a sense in which uh, it was written by a bunch of lawyers, some of which I, I are involved in the people. Uh, Howard Willens, uh, for example, who had been the one of the, the I was in the criminal division. Department of Justice is organized by a criminal division and, and then various civil divisions. Mine was the organi organized crime section of the criminal division. Uh, Willens was the criminal division is run by the assistant attorney general. And there are certain assistants to the assistant attorney general. And Howard Williams was one of those. And I knew him. I had interaction with him. Oh. So the head of the staff members, we talked to them uh, and asked them various questions. And, and we made an effort to write our final report, not like the Warren Commission did. We wrote it as an explanation of how we came to the conclusions we did uh, and showing reasons to support him and reasons not to support him. And then we published our report. And when we published our report, well, uh, one of the things we did is we hired a writer who I knew uh, worked for Life Magazine. And we tried to make our committee report read not like a lawyer's brief, but as a professional statement of the evidence both ways, the reason both ways. In other words, you read the Warren Commission report, it reads like a, an appellate brief. You read our report, it reads like an, an explanation, not in legal terms, but in public using the words appropriate for a public statement, uh, not necessarily a, a legal brief. So that's a comment on one of the things that we thought was wrong with the Warren Commission uh, and how it wrote its final report. And we wrote our report, we thought, with uh, didn't read like a compelling brief. When it comes to how influential Life Magazine was to the House Select Committee on Assassinations, um, did they was it just like a ghostwriter scenario, or did they have other influences as well too? I feel like that's a shady thing working with Life Magazine. I mean, that's you don't want any media press on any of your guys' information, but I mean, do you trust the person enough not to leak it or get the scoop on the story first? Uh, well, first of all, he wasn't working for the Life Magazine at that time, 
I I had I had had contact uh, with the Life Life magazine uh, in the context of organized crime, and I knew the reporters who developed the organized criminal period and wrote it up for the Life magazine. I got one of those reporters who had since left Life magazine to come in and write it. And my point to him is I want this written. And the issue was not decided, but written in a certain way. And I say, look, I want you to write it uh, for us. And let's make it read, not like an appellate brief, but rather uh, a public statement written with the dignity, if you will. This goes back to Stokes. Stokes wanted to have the investigation done, the hearings held, and the final report uh, consistent with, as he put it, the dignity of the lives lived by Kennedy uh, and Martin Luther King. And I think we did that. Your question indicates that it that you misunderstood what I under I said Life Magazine. Uh, we weren't dealing with Life Magazine at all. And we we did not attempt to evaluate any of the reporting that Life Magazine did. The only life connection is that it turns out that one of the senior writers for Life Magazine, uh, I knew personally. And although he, when I got to him, and I, I brought him to the attention of the committee uh, as a possible writer, the content of Life Magazine was no part of what, what we dealt, dealt with. Yeah. You just had a editor or a, use, a, a senior editor that used to be an editor for Life Magazine. Now you when it comes to the requesting of documents that you did, um, you went in an area that targeted more organized crime. And you mentioned earlier that you had talked about organized crime before or someone that you'd worked with that handled organized crime. I'm curious, did you have a notion or did you have an understanding of the mob and the CIA working together? Because, I mean, I've looked through Hoover's life and he never even acknowledged the mob. We need not get into Hoover's position about the mob. Let me just put it to you this way. Uh, when I went in, I thought the Warren Commission was basically right. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald did it. Case closed. I thought the mob would not be involved in the assassination. And I knew that I thought, and I knew that I could get evidence uh, that would, or legal material that would prove that they didn't do it. And the way I set up the particular, I'll talk about uh, the unit is I knew 
I had been in the organized crime and racketeering section, and I had a superior understanding of organized crime. Uh, the mob, it was the main target of our investigations when I was working in the Department of Justice. And I subsequently went back to Notre Dame. And I, of course, that I ran on investigation and prosecution of organized crime and white collar crime. And so that we looked into the facts for the, 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 uh, the course, and we looked into the law and whether the law was a good idea or a bad idea, and what kind of law was needed uh, to deal with organized crime. So when I went down to the committee, I first personally, I believed that the Warren Commission was probably right. And that uh, if there were going to be conspiracies, it wouldn't be mob related. In other words, that was my personal position. Uh, my personal position did not dictate when I started the investigation, what I would have at the end of the investigation and that I would bring to the attention of the guys on the, and ladies uh, that were the congressmen sitting on my committee. So let's get back to the organized crime thing. I knew that the FBI uh, had a electronic surveillance uh, outside of, of the court order system. The court order system began in 63 and it had no limitation on what the, the commission, I'm sorry, what the FBI was doing. Kennedy called uh, Courtney Evans, who was the a liaison from the FBI for our committee. And K Kennedy very forcefully said, there's nothing in the, the reports that the committee, us, in the organized ground and racketeering section people, there's nothing really in the, no, there's no evidence in the Justice Department files worth, worth anything. And so he got on Hoover to change that. What Hoover did is he went out and conducted a program of electronic surveillance. And he put wiretaps, uh, I'm sorry, he put electronic surveillance, chiefly bugs, in on all the major figures in organized crime. Uh, for example, he had a bug in uh, in Chicago uh, at the Armory Lounge and the Gus Alex Taylor shop uh, places uh, and in the home of Sam Giancana, who was the head of the mob in Chicago. Yeah, shot to death. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
he was killed. All right, we could talk about that. Traficante did it. I feel like it, it's Traficante. Well, but anyway, what I'm saying is <laughs> we knew, I knew that they had the surveillance in. And I thought that if I went back and looked at the surveillance, when I say I, we had a group uh, of investigators uh, went through all of the surveillance for a period before the assassination and for a period after the assassination. And I thought that if the mob did it, there would be evidence in that. Uh, by evidence, I mean conversations between the various members uh, about the assassination. This is beforehand. And I thought if there was nothing in that, and I believe that there was nothing in that. Uh, so what we did is we had an investigation of the, that FBI program. program. Uh, and when I, when I began looking at that surveillance, uh, where I thought there would be no evidence in it, there was substantial evidence of what they were doing and what they were thinking about. And, and, and in certain situations, people said over the mics, uh, the guy should be killed. Hoover, Bobby Kennedy, the president. Although the, most of the surveillance talks about Bobby Kennedy and Hoover doesn't talk about the president, uh, JFK. So I thought it would indicate that they didn't do it. And therefore, and given my background uh, of chasing the mob, uh, my judgment was that they wouldn't have been involved. And by the time I had carefully looked at the surveillance, the raw material, not the reports that they sent over to our section, I changed my mind. Well, no, we looked at it all and it had no, no relation. First of all, I, this is what the FBI, the surveillance indicates. And the surveillance itself uh, is not exculpatory for the mob. It's incriminatory that they were under enormous pressure uh, from the Department of Justice and that they resented it. Now, what it doesn't have, in other words, there's a great deal of inculpatory evidence generally in that surveillance, but there's nobody saying, I know Lee Harvey Oswald, I know Jack, Jack Ruby, uh, we planned that Lee Harvey Oswald would shoot the president in this Dallas trip and that uh, Jack Ruby would shoot Oswald. That inculpatory evidence of the date of the assassination 
and the participant of the people, Jack Ruby, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, is not in the surveillance. So did the mob think about it? Yes. I did not expect that I would find that, and I found it. That's what changed my mind about whether they were thinking about it. Now I'm talking about conspiracy. Conspiracy, yes, but a conspiracy that found fruition in the Dallas assassination, no, or even found evidence of their participation in it and the wishing to eliminate Oswald so he couldn't uh, testify that they had done it. And you found no evidence on that. Right. We, I didn't find the evidence on that. So uh, the conclusion and the report, uh, the committee uh, said there's reason to suspect these, these people, but there's no evidence to indicate they actually did it. Uh, that's the sum and substance of that. I went down there thinking the mob had, would have no relationship to it. I changed my mind after I looked at the raw material that the FBI developed on organized crime. And by, by organized crime here, I mean only the mafia. Oh, sadly, organized crime is generally used to, to apply only to the mob. There are a lot of people involved in organized crime that, are, that have nothing to do with the mob. Uh, what, when I say organized crime, I use it in the narrow sense of the mob. Uh, Can I ask you a straight question real quick? Absolutely. When it comes to who killed the president, do you believe Lee Harvey Oswald was the only person that was involved in this? Yes. When it comes to the CIA going through one of the safes at the HSCA building and then eventually lost his job, which I've seen documentation about him flipping through evidence or autopsy photographs, this didn't raise alarms to you? This wasn't suspicious activity? I mean, he had a 201 file that was way more than a 201 file, and I've seen the document with your signature at the bottom. Yeah. Let's talk about the relationship between the committee and the CIA. Uh, and, in point of fact, the agreement that the committee had with the CIA, uh, the agency, which is a very different situation, uh, did not insist on a declassification of every document before we looked at it. I, I negotiated an agreement that our committee staff members, all of which would have top secret security clearance, would look at the CIA files first 
And then when it came time to use any of that evidence, whatever it was, in writing our final report, we would get it declassified before we used it. So I started off with the assumption that the FBI didn't, wouldn't kill the President of the United States, and that if they did, it's not likely there would be any evidence in the files of the CIA that would indicate that they did it. First of all, I didn't think agencies like the CIA or the FBI would be in the business of killing our president. On the other hand, my opinion is not the one that controls. What controls is the evidence. And what we could get evidence about what the Warren Commission did, evidence about what the CIA did or didn't do, or the FBI did in the investigation of the assassination. I didn't think that the FBI would kill the president, but I knew the FBI had run an investigation as to who did kill the president. Uh, and we could evaluate that, that evidence. Yeah. And we could evaluate the evidence uh, of what the CIA did or didn't do. You asked me uh, about an incident that we determined at one stage that uh, the documents that we used to call the jewels and just for the lack of a better term. It's a good term. Yeah. The, the, I mean, then it is, is very valuable. On the other hand, uh, uh, nobody wants to have it come public. Meaning the photographs of the uh, autopsy, which are gross uh, and uh, uh, if somebody looks at those direct directly, it could be either for scientific analysis uh, of what they indicate or for, or for the brilliant entrance of seeing John Kennedy laid out on the slab uh, and his head basically. The bullet that went in the back of the president's head is back here. It comes out on the side of the president's head and explodes, basically. The skull exploded. Uh, so here we have Kennedy with half of his skull blown open and the brain laying out. Nobody in their right mind would want that kind of thing uh, in the public domain. Uh, it just would be prurient. Why would you put it in? Well, it might have evidence of X, Y, and Z. Well, you can say X, Y, and Z, 
and you can narrowly focus on how we look at evidence to see what happened. You don't need to get into the Kennedy. Get in and publicize what the Kennedy autopsy looked like. We didn't want to get into that. Uh, so is the material itself relevant? Yes. Is it, should the material itself be publicized publicly like how it looks like? Uh, you know, we thought, no. Uh, I agree with that. It, it goes into what the guy said to you in the beginning about, you know, maintaining their reputation as they lived. But it doesn't explain the answer of why a CIA officer went in there and touched those photos without any gloves. Right. But now when we say CIA officer, you immediately think, oh, this is a highly trained agent. And is he attempting to look at our evidence uh, and maybe formulate something? He was a low-level uh, security guard that the CIA gave to the committee so that when the evidence came from the CIA and was being held in the, the uh, committee offices, he was involved in controlling it. And the, when it, the particular situation, we kept the photographs of the Kennedy autopsy in a safe. It wasn't CIA evidence. It was the evidence we got independently uh, from photographers. What we found is one, and that was supposed to be uh, accessed only by individuals from the committee uh, on a case-by-case -case basis, sign in, sign out. And the safe was supposed to always be closed. Uh, we noticed that it had not been closed. And when we noticed that it had been not closed, uh, we might try to make an effort to determine who was in the, in the, it, was there a, a penetration not authorized? And we had among our staff, uh, police officers from the District of Columbia. And so we had them look at the fingerprints that we had and to run them through uh, the people of who they were. And lo and behold, we found out that there were fingerprints from the CIA officer who was supposed to be a security guard looking at documents that were not uh, from the CIA, but held in our safe. And so what we did is we conducted an investigation of him and what he did. And he was a guard for the CIA of CIA documents. He was not supposed to 
he was not authorized to open that safe and look at the Kennedy assassination photographs. And that's all he did there. What about the notebook that was left on a ledge? I don't remember that. There's a document that says the CIA employee controls access to the safe in the special work area, and HSCA had some general information about the way things were handled there. Mr. Blakey said that the CIA employee had been interviewed informally, and our permission was requested to take a formal statement from him. Mr. Blakey indicated that it was the CIA's employee's general observations only about procedure that were of interest. Mr. Blakey said that because of the question of the handling of the book, he felt it was necessary to prepare a formal report for the committee. I called the director of security and reported the problem, recommended that our employee be authorized to cooperate as requested. The deputy director of security phoned me back and agreed to have the CIA employee instructed accordingly. At that time, it was my understanding that our employee had not seen the material. This morning, when the CIA employee in question visited our offices, as he does routinely before going to the HSCA offices, I spoke with him about it. It had developed that the notebook in question had been removed by HSCA staffers from the special safe in which it was kept and then left on a window ledge. As much of the CIA's employee's time is spent sitting and waiting, he idly leafed through the book and quickly re recognized what it was. He states that he did not handle any of the pictures. And then later, that's from Beckenridge. And later it was proven that in the safe, one of these employees, I don't know if it was HSCA staff member or it was the CIA guy we were talking about, pulled these autopsy photos out of the safe, um, one that was in a protective sleeve and handled them. I'm just, because after this, I see you requesting for documents about the mob and they're giving them to you, things that were asked previous about connections, about you asked for Oswald's medical thing as well, too, and also his time in Atsugi that gets labeled a conspiracy theory. You were requesting these documents, and they gave them to you. So where people on the research community would say that the HSCA investigation was rigged from the start, I think you gave up ground, and then you took ground when you could. And I think it's all in a matter of national security. They were sanitizing documents. And you, if you look at what some of these letters say, what they, what you guys were requesting, they were denying you on simple things, a 201 file that was for Oswald. I mean, they just, they were destroying documents and you were trying to halt that. So I'm just, you were working with them as in you were trying your best to do a proper investigation, but also you understood the rules of national security or whatever that would protect the agency's credibility. But when we get into areas of where they're a CIA guy infiltrating a safe and that hinders your investigation. I mean, at that point, you, you basically got them by the jewels themselves, you know, and you can ask for things. You can learn about the connections with the mob in Cuba and Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. But you jumped ahead. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. And no, that, that, that's fine. Uh, we were investigating the CIA by looking at their files. Their files are all classified top secret. And we had access to their files completely. Whenever they had one that was a file uh, that they didn't want even to give to our student, we had three uh, students who I, I was teaching at Cornell at that time, and three students uh, came down from Cornell to work on the committee. And because they were bright and young, 
and, and they all thought the agency killed Kennedy. Uh, very, they were very liberal. They were the people who we sent over to the agency to look at the, the agency's files. And, and they theoretically got access to everything. And then we wanted to use some of that in our final report. That's wholly different than the CIA security guard, the lowest level. He was hired just for to be in charge of documents that we brought back from the agency that they were kept in his kept in his control. So technically they never left the CIA. And we had a separate safe in the security area that was where we kept the Kennedy photographs only. And we caught him looking at those materials because we had his fingerprints on them. Yeah. And so when we went over to the agency to talk about it, uh, and this is a, I went over and talked to the director of the CIA. And I said that their guy had looked at the Kennedy autopsy photographs. And they were very, very skeptical of the whole thing. And they were surprised when I said, yeah, but we've got his fingerprints doing it. And at that point, they orbited and called in the, 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 the agent. I can't really say agent. He was a security guard. And uh, we knew that he had access and looked at the, the uh, photographs. And his explanation was, particularly after we had his fingerprints, was that uh, he was curious. And he went in and looked. He didn't change them or anything. In other words, it was his personal curiosity that led him to open the safe and, and look at it and not put it back. Did he have the code before? Like, where did he get the combination for the safe if he was just transporting materials? If he was a low-level guy? Yeah, but he had authority over the security in our office of agency documents. And we also had uh, I, where he got the, the, the combination for the safe is I have no idea where he got that. Uh, the safe was ours, and it was used for just the autopsy photographs. Uh, did you have issues with security in the HSCA? I mean, did that thought come to your head when it came to how that guy got the combination? I would be paranoid thinking that either the CIA or someone on my staff was. I think he would have routinely uh, known the commission. I mean, the, the, and I'm, I'm now I'm speculating. Uh, 
I think he would have routinely known what was in his area, area, I mean, physical area. And he was supposed to keep uh, certain things. He was not ever to have access to that safe. So I don't know where he got this, the uh, combination. Yeah. Uh, How concerned was the CIA with your investigation and looking into Mexico and their involvement down there? Okay. That's a entirely different subject. Let's, let's finish the, the penetration by a uh, security guard. Not a CIA agent uh, of it, I, the safe where the Kennedy photographs were. That's one issue, and we were very angry that he looked at the pictures when he wasn't entitled to, and we took that up with the agency, and the agency uh, orbited and conducted a hearing, their hearing. I mean, they talked to their agent and they fired him. Uh, and he's no longer part of anything. But it happened. And uh, we couldn't see any harm in that other than the fact that this a guard, security guard, had an unauthorized access to the photographs. We brought it to the agency's attention. Uh, they looked into it. They first thought we were paranoid. And when we came up with the, the fingerprints, they suddenly realized that we were right. And they then interrogated him themselves and fired him. Now, this, that's one separate issue. Now you've asked me a question is, uh, were they, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but were they concerned with what we learned about what the agency did or didn't do? Now, this is what's in their files or not in their files um, in, in Mexico City. And the, uh, for example, one of the issues that arose is the Lee Harvey Oswald, when he was in Mexico, when it went to the office of, he, the theory is that he wanted to return to the Soviet Union and that, but to do that, he had to get uh, the permission of the Russians uh, or, the, or the Soviet Union's office in Mexico City and also the, the, the Mexico City, he had to have a, a pass to leave Mexico. So he was in the, the file, in the office of Mexican offices and of the Soviet Union's offices he went in and out of those offices 
and the CIA had uh, physical surveillance of that activity, and they had electronics of it. Well, there were the uh, use of telephones, where Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly was talking to the Mexican offices and the Soviet offices. We wanted uh, from the agency the tapes of the phone calls, mainly because there was some question raised as to whether uh, the person on the, the phone call was Lee Harvey Oswald or not. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, as far as we know, knew, uh, was not fluent in Spanish. He was fluent in uh, Russian, but not Spanish. So if somebody gets on the phone with the uh, Mexican people and speaks fluent Spanish, then it wouldn't be Lee Harvey Oswald. You said he was fluent in Russian? Russian, yes. I thought the Russians even said they knew he was an agent because of his Russia or his speaking Russian was so broken. Uh, that's, I don't know about that. By the time he went over there and spent, what, two or three years in, in the Soviet Union, he spoke fluent Russian. Uh, now, when he got over there and was evaluated by the Russians at the beginning of his trip, maybe he didn't speak Spanish. I'm sorry, didn't speak Russian fluently then. But by the time he had spent several years there, working there, he was fluent. There's, I think, no serious question about whether he was fluent by the time he came back from the Soviet Union. So the question was, was the agency all hot and bothered about our investigation of their activity uh, insofar as it dealt with Lee Harvey Oswald in his efforts to get permission from the Mexican government and the, and the Soviet government to travel from Mexico City to those places. Uh, yes, they were very concerned and, and partly for, from the reason, and there's a, there's a, one of the things that we did is we wrote a, a staff report of what we learned about the CIA. And, and it's all complicated. Um, they didn't have adequate records. Uh, there was a place where there was allegedly a photograph taken, but there was no photograph of Lee Harvey Oswald entering the Soviet embassy or the Mexican embassy. And they should have had photographs for it. And we wanted to hear the tapes and evaluate them ourselves. They didn't have tapes because they said that they used them recording. In other words, they rec recorded 
a particular call, but then that they would re reuse the tape itself. So we couldn't listen to the tapes. We raised with them uh, the fact that that was testimony on the part of the Warren Commission staff that they had heard the tapes, which would mean that, that they had tapes of Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, and they denied that they made them available to the Warren Commission staff. Uh, and we looked at the fact and the Warren Commission staff said they had heard. Uh, and this is all covered in our, our report. What is this? I mean, we, we, you can ask me a question about, did we investigate Lee Harvey Oswald's uh, trip to Mexico City? Yes. Uh, where did we get the evidence from that? And the evidence should have been in the CIA files. Uh, and we should have had access to the files. And when we got access to the files, uh, we got statements like they didn't record it or that if they recorded it, uh, the tapes were not available. All we would have would be a, a report of them. And uh, we were very dissatisfied with the CIA and their explanations of Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico City. And that's covered in uh, our special report on Mexico City and in our final report. That part of stuff is there. So did we learn the actual evidence of Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico, or do we learn what the CIA's evidence was. And we were very disappointed with the files of the CIA insofar as it dealt with the Mexico City matter. Well, on the, on, about say, on the question of Oswald being a lonely loner, which is how history has, <laughs> has, has labeled them as being this person that was a loser type and all this, but your guy's investigation has proved that that's not true, that he was way more than that. I mean, there was time he spent in Atsugi you guys requested for. There was a bunch of things. And I mean, the CIA was not working with you really as much as they said that they were going to do. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that hindered your investigation, because in my opinion, looking through your investigation, I think you guys were trying the hardest you could, but it's kind of like filing a Freedom of Information Act. You can ask for a document and they don't have to give it to you or they can. I mean, I saw a file about Oswald's intelligence background or a debrief that was given to him and they never filed it as a debrief. But yeah, I mean, you have to understand. Uh we have to ask, what are we talking about? Are we talking about whether Oswald shot Kennedy? And can we determine that in whole or in part from CIA files or Hoover files of the FBI? Uh, the question I'm asking is Oswald intelligence or not? Yeah. Uh, the Warren Commission painted a story of Lee Harvey Oswald as uh, a loner, uh, a person 
of questionable intelligence, and we can look in the Warren Commission. They never, they speculated about what was Oswald's intent in, in acting as he did, and they were all over the lot. They finally decided that this is the Warren Commission, that they couldn't evaluate Lee Harvey Oswald's mind in the, did he did he shoot the president? Yes. The question what will then why did he do it? Uh, the Warren Commission felt that they didn't have sufficient evidence to determine that. Which incidentally, if what the Warren Commission is trying to say is he shot him, but he didn't shoot him as a result of a conspiracy, uh, that would go to a state of mind. And so when they decided that they couldn't determine from the evidence available to him, them, uh, what his state of mind was when he did it was not inconsistent with him being uh, basically a nut doing it. Our problem with, with, with that is that he wasn't this loner. Uh, on the other hand, what was he? we had the same problem as to who he was that the Warren Commission had. The Warren Commission painted him as a loner and a loser. Uh, we found that he was not a loner uh, and that he was not uh, lacking in the appropriate state of mind for having been involved in a conspiracy. That's the difference between how the Warren Commission explained what they did and the investigation that they did. We looked into him and our final report is explains that we didn't find him to be a loner, and we did not find him to be a, a nut. Uh, him not being a nut is more consistent with conspiracy than it isn't. It's not proof of a conspiracy, but it's relevant to whether he was conspiratorial. It, it's whether... I mean, besides the fact that Oswald killed the president or not, I'm just worried about his intelligence background. I mean, the way that history remembers Oswald was a 24-year-old kid that just killed the president, but he was way more than that. And yes. I know it stumbles on more secret programs, I would say, which people can label as conspiracy or not. But when I was looking through a lot of these files that you had, um, one that I have interest in was MK Ultra. And I saw that pop up and we knew that came out in Watergate, the fear of what, how far MK ultra was used, but also JM wave where I don't know. I mean, they say he had top clearance for a matter of two weeks before he lost it, but the kid was doing a lot and managed to do a lot when it came to just an aspect of where he traveled, um, his connections with things. And you guys proved that there was much more than just what the Warren commission painted. So when it comes to his intelligence background, people will say 
that's a conspiracy, but there is an intelligence background. There's a lengthy one. And some of those files might be missing on the fact that they did not fully cooperate with the aspect of giving you all the documentation on him, whether either they destroyed it or they just considered it classified. And didn't give it to us, despite the fact that we were supposed to get classified evidence. Well, you tried your hardest with the material that was given to you, but they weren't giving you everything. Well, we don't know whether they didn't. Uh, And that now gets to, there are two agencies, the agency that we knew and the agency that I've come to know uh, since the investigation. And uh, my original position in dealing with the agency, see, was that that they were basically cooperative. They did let us ask for and look at a whole wide range of files. And we thought that maybe some of their explanations about can't find documents or there weren't any documents on this uh, were what the case is in all investigations. Uh, I came to believe after the assassination that I was mistaken in believing that the FBI, I mean, that the CIA had fully cooperated with us. Uh, I decided in the end that they had uh, not cooperated fully with us. And then the issue now arises is, uh, how do I evaluate them in terms of what they did give me and what they didn't give me, is it because they, any agency, government agency who has files will have files that are mishandled, et cetera, et cetera. And the question is why did they uh, not give us all the evidence that we had a reason to think they had, that, that they did it, puts us in a uh, difficult position. If we decided that they didn't give us everything they were supposed to give us, uh, then they've been dishonest with us. Yeah. And what, what, what that's evidence of them being dishonest. It is not evidence of them killing Kennedy. I'm not saying that they killed Kennedy. I'm just saying they're hindering and they're manipulating evidence or they're not giving you your proper right to do a proper investigation. Nobody's hinting at them killing Kennedy. Okay, well, I would tell you that they are a government agency. And if Congress wants to see anything about the agency, it has a right to see it. In other words, they work for us. They don't work wholly for themselves. Uh, I started out assuming uh, that they would cooperate with us in giving us their files. And I thought I set up a, a system that would produce that 
and that insofar as it was classified, we could secure the declassification of any document that we wanted to use. We secured a declassification of everything relating to the CIA in our final report. What they didn't give us, I don't know. And what would be, would be evidence, what kind of evidence did they not give us? I don't know because they didn't cooperate with us. So my point here is, it's not that the CIA or anything was involved in the assassination. My question here is, don't you think it's a little bit suspicious, the fact that they did not give you proper right as you were seat fit to deserve on investigating and looking through the files to deem if I mean, this would all be settled. There wouldn't be 60 years of conspiracy crap or anything like that. A more accurate picture is that Oswald had intelligence connections or was an intelligent agent himself because he was able to do a lot. And he was involved in something that could be secret or could be something like that. And that's probably would keep more people satisfied than the official version that a lot of people reject. And I consider your investigation opened up a lot of these things that were going on. I mean, documentation we probably have now when it comes to the assassination of Castro, how many attempts were on his life, uh, the mob involvement in that as well, too. And there's a document that you got um, your name signed at the bottom about getting his military records that indi that indicate he was incarcerated from June 27th, 1958 to July 24th, 1958. What I, did you know what that was about? Did they give you any information on that? Because when I even mentioned that people say that's not true, that's a fake document. I'm like, but it's the, the HSCA did that you, you guys requested for that you asked about that and you also asked for his medical records. Yeah. And, and we were entitled to full disclosure of everything. And when it was classified, we were entitled to see it anyway. And the issue was whether we could publicly use the classified document. And that would require us to have it declassified. We did not get full cooperation from the agency, we got cooperation from the FBI. Uh, the, the, and now that we did not get full evidence uh, from the military, uh, but they, the, uh, the Irvin Committee uh, got all uptight about the agency or, or the military involved in domestic surveillance. And the, the result of that was that the domestic surveillance that the military did pursuant to Lyndon Johnson's orders and their surveillance was supposedly of national security questions, that is to say, uh, Johnson wanted to know uh, who did the riots and why. And he tasked uh, the military 
to give them that answer. They came up with surveillance when the Irvin Committee found out about it. Uh, one of the solutions was that the military destroyed all their evidence. Uh, that's, that's a big problem. Yeah, well, we, we, we don't know exactly what they did, how they did it, and why they did it. Do you know how frustrating it is to come across a document and it says destroy when no longer needed or you hear something got destroyed? It's like, oh, great, great. What happens when you get a single, a single file and the file, for whatever reason, you've decided that this is not the original file or this is only part of the file, something's been removed. How do you decide what's what's removed? Well, you can't unless you get testimony from the person who removed it, and he tells you why he removed it. Uh, so when you when you don't have evidence, you have a hard time making an inference of what's in the evidence yeah. and why they 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 destroyed it. That's the problem with dealing with government evidence always. They're supposed to keep files and they're supposed to come up with the files that they have and explaining themselves to Congress and uh, all of the government. All is a bad word. If you do investigations of government agencies, you will find out there's a difference between their files of what they did and what you can prove that they did independent of the files. And now what do you do with the fact that they didn't keep records uh, or if they did keep records, they don't have them now. You have a hard time making an inference from a negative. Uh, we have enough evidence now that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald engaged in conduct that's wholly inconsistent with him being a nut that went to the Soviet Union and returned. And uh, we have enough evidence to decide that there is reason to believe that he was, for example, let me give you some of the speculation. Uh, we know that the agency well, felt that they were, they were, uh, had a problem with Soviet penetration of the CIA and the CIA conducted a great deal of investigation to seeing if they could determine where they penetrated and penetrated by whom. And there's speculation, underlying the word speculation, that one of the techniques that the agency used to determine whether they were infiltrated could have been the use of Lee Harvey Oswald uh, as an agent working for the CIA and coming up with evidence of uh, 
investigations. I know um, there's a document um, for Robert L. Cooch um, in connection with the investigation of the House Select Committee on Assassinations into the death of President John F. Kennedy. This letter is in response to your letter of March 10th, 1978 to the committee, which stated that the Department of Justice file of Lee Harvey Oswald contains no evidence that Oswald ever revealed or offered to reveal national defense information to the Soviet Union and that therefore prosecution of Oswald for such an offense was not considered. Yeah. Uh, in fact, when you look at um, what Oswald said, in fact, uh, when he was trying to get the Soviet Union to let him enter the country, that he told them that he was uh, worked on a, the CIA at one time flew planes over the Soviet Union. And this is the, the U-2 planes. Uh, and one of them got shot down. And Gary Powers uh, was recovered. Oswald told the Soviet Union that he was uh, on the um, radio operator uh, that covered those planes. And, and Oswald said that he was going to give that evidence to the Soviet Union. Now, the question is, uh, could Oswald have been a, a double agent working for the CIA and trying to infiltrate uh, Soviet intelligence? And there are people who, who think, that it, think that that's true. We don't have that nailed down. I mean, the answer is we don't have that nailed down. That's speculation that he could have been a double agent. Uh, My, I wouldn't even, I, I probably wouldn't fall in the boat that he was a double agent. I think um, I would probably more focus on just his intelligence connections in general. Um, to me, that's just interesting because I think it, like I said, it paints the- Really interesting. The question, I, the question is if he was sent over there, for example, uh, the people that have speculated is that the agency was trying to find out if they were penetrated. They sent Oswald to the Soviet Union to hopefully join them and to get better evidence through Oswald of Soviet investigations of us. The difficulty is that uh, that speculation theory uh, is just that. Okay. It, it's, it's not something that we can nail down. Did Oswald defect, really? Uh, or did he defect as a part of a uh, operation by us to infiltrate them? Those, there are no files that prove that. That's 
speculation. Uh, so could Oswald have been a double agent? Yes, he could have been one, but there's no evidence. To, there's insufficient evidence to say that that is the case. When it comes to the uh, contracting of venereal disease, and it said <laughs> not due to his own misconduct, that gets labeled a conspiracy, but that's real. But if he got it in the line of duty, how did he get it? Right, right, right. There's certain things that follow uh, from it. Now, were we investigating the, the CIA and their operations, including their operations to protect themselves? No. Our concern was with the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. So that means we're concerned with uh, who was Lee Harvey Oswald. We're not concerned with whether Lee Harvey Oswald was a double agent from the CIA. The venereal disease. How did he get the venereal disease? That would be something I would want to know. But. Come on, you asked for it. Did you get the document for it? No. Oh. No. Okay. I have no memory of us getting a document. It's um. Me. It's to John G. Kester. Um, I don't know if you yeah, you signed it at the bottom. You asked for Oswald's military health records indicate that he contracted venereal disease in line of duty, not due to own misconduct. And it says Donapedian Exhibit 1, 19H605. And you asked, what were the basis of these determinations and what are your purposes to such determinations? Yeah, we never got an answer. That's a, that's a that's a million dollar question, man. I'm losing my mind on that one. I have no clue. That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen that. But it says in the line of duty. So I'm like, was he pumping for information? I don't. I'm kidding. It was a joke. <laughs> no, the answer. <laughs> I'm. I have a vague memory that we asked for that information. Okay. I do not have any memory, vague or otherwise, that we got back an answer. And, and it's you've really you, you pen me on it's been several years i know i'm sorry no that's all right and and i i mean you didn't tell me beforehand you were going to ask uh, and, and the answer is i don't know how i would have improved my information my memory honestly i was looking through a bunch of files this morning because like i said i've been obsessed the past couple of months and um I started coming across all these things. I've heard this from other researchers, but I never take anything at face value unless I find a document to be able to back up at least anything of what they said. Because you understand some researchers skepticize a little bit too far out there to where I can't go. And just being, you know, my of a younger generation trying to understand for historical purposes, and you start finding out that there's like these intelligence blueprints. To me, that's just interesting. I mean, I have an interest in MK Ultra. And all that, that's kind of, I wouldn't say it's intertwined at all, but like Sidney Gottlieb, I had the guy who wrote the book on that guy and went through, you know, getting documents on him. And to me, that's interesting. And I get it's a threat to national security. You can only say kind of so much on, and you were only limited to limited as well in your investigation because the CIA just kept documents away or considered it national security. But I think it's important because the work you did and the work that the HSCA did, um, 
mean people can have their you know monday back monday night quarterbacking on it or whatever it's 60 years of hindsight but i think you guys did incredible work um and you were limited with the tools that you had thank you you tell them about your post uh, committee stuff but yes i wasn't here about the grassy knoll on it uh i don't know we didn't talk about the grassy knoll yet oh no I have, investigation. Okay. I, I have not said anything about what we learned or what I may have learned subsequently. We haven't, I haven't been asked about that. Okay. Do you want to talk about the grassy knoll? We almost been talking two hours. I don't want to hold you all day, but if you're willing to talk about it. There are several things that we can, that I can say. Okay. Uh, we did, in, we did investigation. People said that they uh, that shots came from two directions, the depository and from the grassy knoll. So we investigated uh, the issue of did shots come from the grassy knoll uh, by talking to witnesses who said they heard things a shot from the grassy knoll. Uh, and, and therefore there was somebody behind the fence on the grassy knoll. Uh, and we did a scientific study. Acoustic evidence. The, the acoustics. There is uh the, tell, tell me the secrets. Tell me all the secrets. Yeah, well, let me, <laughs> let me, let, this is there was a dictaphone that recorded on a dictabel, which is basically very primitive sound recording, that the police department was talking to the police guys and talking to the chief of police. There was a recording made of those conversations for police purposes, we got that tape. And what we wanted, and it, the communications to the chief was not an issue for us. There was, believe it or not, one of the officers who was riding on his motorcycle, the way his motorcycle was set up is if he called in, his call that went in could have kept his microphone on subsequently to the actual conversation he had. And if his, he had captured, if he's, there's a way of their thing, captured the tape recorder beyond his call, one of the issues that arose is could that tape uh, have on it the sounds of the assassination? Meaning, did it have three shots from the grassy, three shots from the depository? Could it have picked up a, a, a call? I mean, a shot from a different direction. It caught five shots. Well, let me go back. <laughs> I, this is what we were looking for. 
how many shots from what directions? And the assumption was there would be the shots that we know that were fired from the of independent evidence. We know that Oswald shot the president, and we know how many shots he he did, at least these, and they should be on uh, that tape. If that tape recorded the conversations, the interesting question is, was there additional sounds on it that could have uncovered sounds from the grassy knoll and heaven to Betsy from any other direction. Uh, so we conducted a scientific study of the nature of sound in Dealey Plaza and what sounds would look like on a tape uh, from any direction. And it turned out that we believe that the tape did have sounds on it. Is that when you went up and shot through the, the spot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I spoke to Donald Thomas about this and he broke down your guy's whole uh, acoustical evidence. Uh, it's that's I, to me. I mean, I, it sounds I mean, it's scientific a little bit. It's hard for a lot. I guess it's probably why a lot of researchers don't talk about it because it gets hard when you have to kind of look at it from two wavelengths, but I do audio editing for the podcast and everything. So I kind of understood what he was talking about, but you guys set up microphones and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we explained in our final report what we did. Uh, and I, there was a joke about uh, that, that tape and the joke inside the committee was that's Blakey's problem. <laughs> And the fact that the guy called me and said, we've looked at the tape and we think that there are more. There are si signals on the tape indicating shots from the grassy knoll, actually from the depository and the grassy knoll. And there are some other things on it that could be a shot from some other direction. And so we only cared about the shot from the grassy knoll. If we had a lot of time and the shot from the grassy knoll could be nailed down, then we would have gone back and looked at other possible shots. We never looked for other possible shots. Although there is some evidence on the tape of a shot from a different direction. So that we had more than the four shots, we had as, as many as five. Uh, we only looked at the depository shots and the grassy knoll shots. And it, we got the grassy knoll shots down to a uh, 95, 96, maybe 98, 98% accurate for the shot from the grassy knoll. So we have a tape that may or may not have shots on it. We made an effort to 
scientifically determine how many shots were on it beyond the, the other words we didn't do the whole tape we figured the, the only the issue for us was whether there was a depository for oswald and if there was a shot from the grassy knoll which would indicate two shots from different directions and that would then mean conspiracy we looked at the shot from grassy knoll we didn't look for other shots put that aside uh, we did get evidence uh, showing first of all we believe that that the tape was accurate and that it we could de derive from the tape sounds that could be assassination sounds and it was more than the depository because if it's more than the depository it's uh two people two people equal conspiracy at did, least did a shot come from the knoll yeah yeah was it woody harrelson's dad we we don't we don't know who it was but there's a long list of people live body people who report smelling smoke yeah uh seeing the shot in the sense of seeing smoke and hearing the shot <clears throat> wholly independent of the acoustics evidence there's more than sufficient evidence of shots from the depository and shots from the grassy knoll. That's why the whole con controversy about the grassy knoll came up. What you haven't seen in the Warren Commission, for example, a detailed analysis of all of the testimony of people as to where the, where the shots came from. And now I don't mean an adding up of shots because people there were several thousand people in daily plaza so they didn't interview them all they interviewed a substantial number and of the substantial number that they interviewed they got all possible directions for the sounds of the shots there is a substantial number of people who heard shots, at least more than one, from the depository. There is also a, a subset now of people into the plaza who heard shots from the grassy knoll. And they, they not, not only heard it, they saw the flash and they smelt smoke. Yeah, but that would mean it was more than just Oswald. The Warren Commission wasn't going there. Right. And so there's a couple of offhand comments ab about how many shots and then whether the Warren Commission would believe there were shots from the depository. Yes, they accepted of none 
of the evidence of the testimony of the witnesses that heard it from the uh, otherwise. There's no systematic analysis of each witness and what the witness said it said that he or she heard, smelt, or saw. The Warren Commission had the evidence of shots from the grassy knoll and, and, and simply rejected it without ever explaining why the credibility of those witnesses was suspect. Uh, this is wholly independent of the acoustics. Yeah. Uh, I think there's sufficient evidence to believe the shots came from the grassy knoll, independent of the acoustics evidence. The fact that there is acoustic evidence as well as shot, the evidence from the witnesses themselves, um, I find persuasive. I agree with you. It, it, and, and believe me, uh, all the... We got to talk to Woody Harrelson's dad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know who it is, right? <laughs> well, I have subsequently, <laughs> subsequently come up with uh, possible names of the people behind the grassy knoll. And uh, I put more or less credence in them. There's some evidence uh, that there were two people who were, uh, I'll call them this, professional assassins uh, connected to- uh, uh, Say Dallas police, say it. No, no, not <laughs> is is that I'm thinking now of uh, when, you, when we get around to the mob, who among the mob would have been involved? Roselli, Gina Cana, Traficante. I I don't know. I got a whole list. I think Harvey no, had to be involved. No, no the, the ones that you can do nail down to some degree of confidence are those Marcelo. Uh, and uh, the name now won't come back. Roselli? No, 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 no. Uh, no, 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 no. One more. Come on. Who's the one from? Traficante. No. Yes. Okay. I got it. Holy crap. No, no, no. I just couldn't come back with the name right away. That the people who you focus on are Marcelo, and then can we connect him to Oswald? The answer is yes. Uh, if you look at, at Traficante, uh, I learned from Cuban intelligence that there were two individuals, and the names I don't remember them now, uh, connected to Marcelo, not, not, not Traficante. Two professional assassins were in Dealey Plaza, which makes them the, the clear candidates for who the names of the people behind the grassy knoll were. Uh, but that's subsequent to our the committee's investigation. 
that's evidence that came to my attention afterwards. Like I said, I think it's because they weren't um, giving you the proper materials to be able to conduct a thorough investigation like you so wanted to do. Um, I support you guys. I would laminate your House Select Committee of Assassination volumes on my wall, um, mostly because you can see it. I mean, you you requested for a lot of stuff. You were denied a lot of stuff, and it's no different than what happens when people file freedom of information requests, except you guys were conducted to do uh, a proper investigation into this and it's what the public wanted um and you know it's agency secrets i guess but I, I like to think about all the good stuff you guys have done and you have given me way more than enough time mr blakey but seriously i really appreciate being able to speak with you um you're welcome on my show anytime uh i let, let me make this offer to you yeah and every person i've ever investigated uh, or had my staff investigate, the last question or comment that they, they have to make is, did you think of anything else after this that you would like to have asked us? Call me. Uh, if you had a couple of questions, in other words, we've now talked for a couple of hours. If you have other individual questions that come up, uh, as long as I'm alive and you've got my telephone number, you can call me and I will answer any other questions that you have. And if I have a question about something that you've done, uh, can I follow up with it with you? Yeah. In other words, when it, we quit now, I appreciate you calling me and it's over, but it's not over. As long as I'm alive, you can call me again. Have them send the link to for the, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My son, who's here, uh, suggested that I, if you didn't hear it, uh, give me, send me I will. Uh, an email, which is the link to the podcast. Yeah. Let me um, wrap up real quick, and then I want to end it. We can talk about this off air. But um, Mr. Blakey, seriously. Pleasure was all mine. Um, I really appreciate the time, at least helping me get some insight on history. And I appreciate the work you did uh, during your investigation as well, too, um, and giving me the time to talk about it a little bit. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank, and stay tuned for next episode.